Yoga Podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Karen Solomon, a pioneer on the first responder wellness front. Karen is the founder of Blue Help, which is a nonprofit organization that started tracking law enforcement suicides back in 2016. The organization also aims to help reduce mental health stigma by way of education, advocating for benefits for those suffering from PTS acknowledge the service and sacrifice of law enforcement officers we lost to suicide, support families after suicide, and bring awareness to suicide and mental health issues. Karen tells us how Blue Help was created because of a gap she identified to support surviving police families who lost a loved one to suicide. So she began to send care packages to these families, and she began tracking the number of law enforcement suicides. Karen tells the story of how she connected with other police officers by way of an online police wives group since she herself is married to a police officer. This connection and Karen's personal experience with suicide led her to write two books, Hearts Beneath a Badge and The Price That They Pay, and expanding Blue Help to First Help, which began tracking fire, paramedic, and telecommunicator suicides last year. She's a national speaker advocate for federal legislation that impacts suicide survivor families, and a contributing columnist to several first responder publications. I recently had the opportunity to take training offered by First Help. A colleague of mine with the fire department arranged for this free training to come to my area in Wichita, Kansas. Responder readiness is an eight-hour course that First Help offers to agencies upon request, which is completely free of charge. Check the website for further information and other training that they offer. The trainer, Mike Murata, is a United States Air Force veteran and a veteran law enforcement officer. He spent the day discussing stress and trauma, and more importantly, the tools that we can implement to optimize our performance. I really enjoyed this class and speaking with Mike. And as always, I really enjoy talking to people who like to commit to first responder mental health and wellness. And Mike is definitely one of those people. First Help is a top-notch organization committed to serving first responders and their families. I hope you enjoy this episode and understand that one person truly can make a difference. Karen will tell you that she doesn't do it alone, but she's an integral part of the organization. The impact and ripple effect of her work will never really truly be known. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really happy to have you here today. Um, you're somebody who I've been wanting to have on my podcast for quite some time, so this is great. Thank you. I always find so that funny before... when, you know, officers and, you know, you, uh, you know, people say to me, oh, I, I wanted to talk to you. I'm like, why do you want to talk to me? You know? so Because just... you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's, just, it's just funny when people say that because we're just doing our thing and it's just, it's just funny to us. That's all. Well, I get it, but in in all seriousness, I I was telling you before I hit record that you know a lot of what you do, I mean, it wasn't being done before, it wasn't really being talked about before, and it's so helpful to be able to have a resource to direct people to, not just like here's the numbers, but here's information, here's what you can do. So so that's why people think are so impressed by it. <laughs> Thanks. So today, what I'd love for you to talk about, obviously, all of the things, right? But but I want to know um, what kind of inspired 
Karen Solomon to, to come up with or start Blue Help. I know you're also an author, you're married to a police officer, but, but how did all of this start? Yeah, so it was the books. So I, um, I'm not really an author. I, I wrote two books, but I've never written in my life until I wrote the two books. So I don't consider myself an author. I, so, I mean, I guess te- technically I am because I wrote books, but, you know. Um, so after Ferguson, the incident in Ferguson, I got, you know, that was a catalyst for a lot of things, you know. So I got very frustrated. Um, and I wanted to do something good for my friends that were police officers, my husband, for my family that were police officers. So I wrote a book called The Hearts Beating at the Badge. And it was really about all the good things that police officers do. And then that book led to another book called The Price They Pay, which I wrote with one of our co-founders, Jeff McGill. And that was about all the trauma they go through. Because after the first book, these officers started saying, well, what about all the bad stuff that happens to us? What about this? What about that? And as I was listening to them and researching, I realized they didn't know how to get mental help. And then I also realized how badly they are treated if they ask for help. And then I found out how poorly we treat the families after suicide. So... Steve, Jeff, and I, Steve Huff, he's the other co-founder. Steve and Jeff are partners in Okaloosa County, Florida, when Steve got shot in the face serving a warrant and he almost died. So the three of us, I just said, hey, we got to do something. And we said, let's just start counting suicides year over year. And it started as a really simple, let's just have a website where we count suicides. And it evolved into so much more because there was this huge gap, um, not just in terms of recording the suicides year over year because that hadn't been done before we were doing it, but also offering support to the families and, and training and resources. So so that all just kind of steamrolled out of this one idea. Let's just let's just raise the red flag and put the number out there and hope that somebody does something about it. And six years later we're still doing something about it. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. And so backing up just a little bit, maybe I missed it. How did you know these guys that were? Because you're a different part of the country. (laughs) It's a funny story. So actually, I was part of a police wives group, um, an online group. You know, I've been married to a cop for 15 years, and I just, I got, literally got bored and joined this group one night, and I started talking to these ladies. Um, I had actually been kicked out of a number of of, um, police wives groups because I tend to be very outspoken. And this one was a cool group, and it was small, and I just became really friendly with the people there. So one of the women there, she is Steve's sister-in-law. And when I decided to write this book, she said, oh, you should talk to my brother-in-law. Um, you know, he got shot in the face. And I said, oh, great, let me talk to him. And I, I did, and I talked to Steve and Jeff, and, and then we became friends on the phone and online. And then after we wrote the second book, I went down there to stay. And my husband's like, you're just going to go stay with these people that you've never met before. I'm like, yeah, I'm going, I know, I've talked to their wives, you know. So it was just kind of a weird story. If you ask them, they will say I stalk them. But I didn't. It was just kind of a collaborative. It, we just clicked, you know, from the get-go. Yeah. So. Gotcha. So all of this just kind of happened online from this police wives groups. And so – what did your, did your husband have any um, input into the book or have anything to do with any of this stuff? Like, what did he think when you were like, hey, I'm going to do this? Yeah, he wasn't, um, my husband, he flies under the radar. He does his job. Um, he's, he, he follows the rules and the letter of the law. And I'm, I kind of skirt the, <laughs> the law and a lot of other things. So he, um, he was a little, uh, hesitant because he, I was moving into his space and, um, 
and because he doesn't like to be out in the spotlight and this kind of put him there, you know, when he's in in-service training now, he's like, hey, guess who we talked about again today? Karen Solomon in Blue Helm, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's the opposite of what my nephew, my nephew will come and like, auntie, we talked about you again today. It's really cool. Um, but, you know, so it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy for him because he, he's not, um, he doesn't bring the job home. We're not one of those police families that, you know, advertise that we're police families or, you know, just, it's just, we're just, there's just, you know, different styles of law enforcement families and, and we're the quieter type. Well, we were sure. until this happened, um, but we still don't flaunt it. We just try to make a difference, you know? So it was, sure. tough. it was a tough adjustment for him. So how is it now? I mean, is he oh, now pretty much adapted? Okay. Yeah, and now he has to adapt. You know, he's you know he used to be hesitant. To, no, you're not going to those conferences. You're not going there and hanging out with 300 cops. And you know, so and now he's just like, whatever. How many how many guys you hanging out with this weekend, Karen? You know, just he just laughs about it now because he knows what I'm doing and he knows that it's meaningful and he gets it. Um, he, sure. he understands. Yeah, so it's easier, but it's still you know it's still hard for him when I you know I do travel a lot more than probably I would like to. Um, and you know, it takes a lot of my time, but he's, he's on board with it. He's very supportive. That's, that's great. Um, because typically like when you hear of people that are involved in certain organizations, like there's a reason for it. And it sounds like for you, it was just, you felt like there was this, this need, you saw a gap and you needed it. And and it was kind of something that you felt called to do. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is there, was there anything else going on behind the scenes that kind of led you to become interested in, in doing the work that you're doing? It really was just that whole frustration factor of seeing how badly and then um, thinking, oh my God, if this comes to my house, is this how crappy they're going to treat me too? Is this how badly my husband is going to be treated if he needs help or my stepfather or my stepbrother or my brother-in-law or my, you know, anybody else who's in this profession? And just, it was really crappy to see. And then, um, Having a, uh, having had uh, attempted suicide in my early 20s, I know what it's like mm. to be there. So for me, it was kind of like I get it and I think this whole situation stinks, you know, because um, we glorify so much in law enforcement and um, mental health. We just we, we, we treat so poorly and, and think of it so negatively. So just when, when you hear these family stories and and their heartbreak and their heartache and the desperate desperation of the officers, you feel like you need to do something. And, and like I said, at the yeah. time, nobody else was doing anything and I, not nobody, but it wasn't to the scale it is today. You know, six years ago, things have changed since, since we've started this, they've changed significantly. You know, six years ago, it was hard to find a resource. Six years ago, it was hard to find a conference. It, there weren't wellness programs. So uh, nobody was talking about how many, they weren't talking about the number, and now they are. The, there's so much legislation that has been passed, the Law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection Act, um, the support that we offer the survivors, uh, just, just tremendous amount of progress. Yeah, it's amazing how far you've come even since you started. I mean, yeah. really, it sounds like you continue to grow, which we were talking about before before we started. So if you could just kind of let people know who have been living under a rock and they don't know what Blue Help is or what they do, yeah. maybe just explain a little bit about Blue Help and then now kind of what's grown from Blue Help, what we were talking about first help. Sure. So when, when we started, again, it was just uh, to raise the red flag and we, we put up a website, we put a ticker on our website and, and people could submit web 
suicides to us. We would we would scour the internet. We would contact people. We would try to verify those suicides um, through talking to people. We don't pull death certificates and things like that because you need permission from the family and it gets expensive. And we just we we believe the families and the departments when they tell us it was a suicide. There was there has been no instances where there hasn't been a suicide. We've found out later that it wasn't. So um, we verified them from multiple sources. So. Then we said, okay, let's let's just kind of make this like an officer down memorial page where you can go there and honor your loved one who died by suicide. So we put their name and their face on our website and with a memorial, just like officer down memorial page does for line of duty. And we actually work with ODMP because they get suicides and they forward the suicides to us because they can't go on their oh, website. Good. Yeah, so that's really cool. That's a cool relationship. So then we found that, um, so that was 2016. In 2017, we found that there weren't a lot of mental health conferences and there weren't any resources for the families. So we started sending out care packages after suicide. So when anybody submitted to us, when anybody submits to us now, it doesn't matter what year the suicide was. It doesn't matter if the suicide was 20 years ago. They will get a care package from us with um, some really specially chosen items by one of our widows. They get some beautiful wind chimes that the families absolutely love. They get a photo frame, a journal. They get a bunch of stuff that we've, we've crafted over the years and kind of perfected. So they get a beautiful box and they also get a beautiful blanket with their loved one's name embroidered in it with their end of watch date. So again, doesn't matter when the suicide was, if, if it's the first time we're finding it out, you get a care package and a blanket right out of the gate. No questions asked, no cost to you, no nothing. So then we had the conference in 2016, 17, we started sending out care packages. And then we said, hey, why don't we have, um, you know, when you look at what COPS does for line of duty, we said, why don't we do all that stuff? Let's, let's have retreats, let's have an annual dinner. So our first annual dinner was in 2019 at Police Week. Um, it wasn't as well received as we would have liked because it's police week and you know people feel that it's for line of duty when it's when it's truly not if you read the proclamation for police week it's about more than line of duty um so so there's absolutely no reason why those families shouldn't and can't be honored and they actually have started in recent years honoring families there's um a group that's associated with the FOP. I, I don't know who does it. Um, they they pick one family each year to go lay a rose, so they so they get to include suicide, which is fantastic. But it should be it should be more than that um, at this point in time. But that was our first annual dinner where we honored the service. We we pay all the expenses: their airfare, their any travel expenses, their hotel, their meals, everything while they're there. Because suicide doesn't get benefits. They don't get um, payouts like line of duty does they don't they don't get anything so so they can't afford to go to these events otherwise so we pay for everything so they come to this dinner we we have photos of their loved ones that they get to take home in a frame with their name on it and uh we have just a, a wonderful weekend where they can spend time with other families who have suffered the same loss and we have events for them and it's it's a really beautiful thing so that went up to a camp now it's called camp april for a retreat for the kids under 17. So now we have retreats for the kids who are under 17. We have events for adult siblings, adult children, parents, spouses, and significant others. And we also have the annual honor dinner. And last year we had, it was four days long. It was fantastic. We integrated the camp with the dinner. So it was, it was crazy. It was four days of just, it was just fantastic. Um, so then we also have college scholarships for kids who lose a first responder parent to suicide. 
so similar again we we have tried to mimic everything that line of duty death families get obviously not on as big of a scale we don't take in that kind of money but we do what we can we offer final financial assistance where we can last christmas we filled 77 wish lists for christmas uh, for families who can't afford christmas so so we do whatever we can um and we send out special gifts once a year just to remind them that we're thinking of them and stuff like that so that's really how we've evolved and and we've been very lucky to have partners like FirstNet built by AT&T, Motorola, Axon, the Gary Sinise Foundation has helped us out. So, so we've had some tremendous support to get these things done. And this year we are doing a, 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 just a ton of free training for first responders, responder readiness training and family readiness and supervisor readiness. And that's all funded by FirstNet by AT&T. So that's a, that's a great thing. If you go to our website, you click on the training tab and you can see all of them coming up. There's I don't even know how many there are. There's a lot. I lost count. And we partner with first responder conferences to do first responder conferences. So then, so that's Blue Help in a nutshell, just a lot of the stuff that we do. And then what we also, oh, we also send out care packages to the departments after a suicide. And we've just revamped those. That, so they will include books and boxes of granola bars and different branded material for the departments when they lose an officer to suicide. So just to let them know we're thinking of them. And some brochures for oh. resources. Yeah. So that's incredible. I have I have a few questions because you you just said so much. <laughs> I told so, you I could so talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. You definitely can. This is great. So um I had to write it down so I wouldn't forget. So the first thing that you said was when you started to when you first started, you started keeping track and then people will self-report to you if they've lost a loved one to suicide. Uh but there's no um there's no legislation, there's no requirement for agencies to report that as of yet. Is that right? Or no, where are we at that's with, with that? Yep. So in 2020, President Trump passed the Law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection Act. However, okay. it is not mandatory. So it gotcha. is the FBI is the FBI is mandated to collect law enforcement suicide attempts and law, law enforcement suicide deaths for two years. They started on January 1st. It is not mandatory. Um, you have to log into the portal at work. Um, so you can't so families can't report. It has to be done by an officer or by a department, the investigating department. Um, they have to log into the LEAP portal and um, have a LEAP number, ID number, and everything like that and go in and report it. It takes all of about five, ten minutes. Um, they do have a lot of questions. It's a lot of the similar questions that we have. We, we collect a lot of data behind the scenes because we talk to the families and obviously we get to know them and we talk to the departments. So we get a lot of the backstory. It's not on the form because we didn't want to put it on the form. We figured we'd, you know, collect it as we went. But the LESDC has about 50 questions and it, you know, asks about the history of the officer, if they've been involved in incidents, things like that, um, if the department has a wellness program. But it's it's slow going because it's slow to tick up. And, you know, you know, it's funny because somebody said the other day, well, what's in it for me? Because if they report to Blue Help, they get support, they get all this other stuff. But if you, when you to the FBI, um, there's no name submitted. Uh, you don't submit the officer name. It's anonymous. And it's a collection tool. Um, it's very different. I, I don't know how to explain it. So, so for us, it's more about support, resources, awareness. For the FBI, it's, it's about awareness and changing the future. So it's like LIOCA, law enforcement officers killed and assaulted. The more data they collect, the better they can 
um, implement programs. They can, they, they're in front of Congress. We're not. So they can speak to Congress and say, here's the issue. But if they go to Congress and say, hey, we only have 10 suicides and Congress says, well, Blue Help has 100, 110, what's going on? Because people know who we are. They know our number. And that's, you know, uh, that is our number is a driving force in a lot of these things and a lot of these changes because people were just like, holy cow, it's really that high. And it's and it's higher than what we're reporting. We know it's higher. But um, so so there is now the FBI is required to collect it. And anybody who's who's listening, I encourage you to go to the Law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection Act and look at it and report it to the FBI. And, and report it to us, too, for support. But we can't report it for you. So it's kind of a, you know, why do I have to report it twice? Because, it, 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 you know, we're not integrated with each other, the FBI and Blue Help. So it's two completely different collections for two completely different reasons. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, you know, because Leoka does it, COPS does it, ODMP does it. You can do it to multiple people. It only takes a few minutes. So even if somebody reports it to you, they still need to get a hold of an agency somehow and say, hey, can you report this? Because it has to go through that agency. It can't even be the family member, right? Okay. Not at this time, no. Mm -mm. And, so you know, how... that's going to be, you know, an issue. Yeah. <laughs> and my question is, like, how do you properly document, and maybe you're not really trying to capture this, retirees? Oh, we get that. We, got, we, we capture retirees. So we do. So that's hard. Uh, and, and the LASBC also collects retirees. But that's difficult because we only collect them if the agency knows about it and they tell us, a friend knows about it, a family member. You know, we're still not a household name. So it's not as if everybody comes to us immediately, you know. So um, we, but we do collect retirees. We, we absolutely do. I think about 10 to 12% of our number is retirees, but I'm sure that that's higher, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's hard right. to collect. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking as you were saying that, like even for people to come to you and report it, but let alone also letting the FBI know. Also. Oh, right. That's that's going to be hard. Yeah, because, again, because you have to go through the LEAP portal, um, and if the department that they worked for doesn't know about it or an agency doesn't know, you know, if the investigating agency knows that it's a retired law enforcement officer and they choose to report it, then they can you know, because there is going to be police presence on the site of every suicide. So they would know. Right. So are there any other examples of um, agencies um, relying on you and collaborating with you to help, in, you know, to help pass other legislation? Is this, is this so far what, what you've seen? So the Cops Counseling Act recently went through for the, you know, confidential, um, you know, counseling for federal law enforcement officers. The big, 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 big legislation that's out there right now, um, which I just wish it would go, it would pass, but I don't know that it will. Um, you know, the Public Safety Officers Benefits Act that offers line of duty death benefits, federal benefits, if you die in the line of duty or if you're injured in the line of duty. Well, there has now been an amendment. This is the third time it's been presented to offer suicide like to offer benefits, the same benefits to families who lose an officer to suicide or to an officer who was injured on the du duty with a mental injury, they would get the same benefits as a physical injury. So that's out there again this year. This year it's been, it was out there by Duckworth, Senator Duckworth, but previously it was Senator Trone and Senator Quigley, uh, but they just can't seem to get it through. So there's new wording this year reintroduced and waiting to see what happens and that's you know that's frustrating because that is a big 
um, piece of legislation. It's not endorsed by everybody. Uh, it's a it's a tough uh, thing to get through because people still don't want to pay to the family for a suicide. They somehow blame the family or they're they're penalizing the family. They say it's not caused by the job, but you know, I'll, I'll argue to on blue in the face that I, I can give you hundreds of instances where it's it's directly tied to the job. We have all of that information. And I can tell you, if you're going to claim heart attack or you're going to claim heat stroke and all the, there's there's over 22 line, causes the line of duty deaths. I lost count at 22 a couple of years ago. So, so you're telling me that my husband who runs five miles a day, um, he has a heart attack while he's at work it's it's because of the job and he gets line of duty death benefits. I, I don't think so. He no, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I wholeheartedly don't. Because he's fit, he's healthy, and just because he dies at work doesn't make it line of duty. So, you know, I, and I know that there's, you know, he has to have had a stressful incident at work or whatever 24 hours before, but that still doesn't make it true, you know. As if if my husband was grossly overweight and ate McDonald's every day and died of a heart attack at work just because he ran a mile beforehand doesn't make it, you know, so, so I get very, uh, it just, to me, it's, it's, you're, you're talking, you're, you're saying no to an emotional injury where somebody, you know, can be beaten down over the course of their career and depressed and have trauma and be just all kinds of other stuff. And you're saying no to that when it's clearly an emotional thing due to the job like i said we can give you many cases but you you will say hey this arbitrary heart attack or heat stroke because they were outside directing traffic and didn't drink enough water that's line of duty that doesn't make any sense to me you know it really doesn't it doesn't slips and falls accidental gun discharge you know all those things that you you call line of duty if you accidentally discharge your gun on the job you it's not a line that you accidentally shot yourself. So, so how can that, do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense to me what they, what they consider line of duty and not line of duty. Well, I guess what's surprising more than anything is that all of the information that's out there and that now we do have some research and evidence to show why it should be. And so I don't really understand what the disconnect is to be able to say, here is, here's evidence. Here's why this injury should be considered line of duty this is the type of injury it is and be able to show them proof and evidence of, you know, MRI brain scans of somebody who has PTSD, different documentation. And just because you can't see it, like you can see a physical injury doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I think a lot of people, it seems like more and more people know this. Um, and so that it wouldn't be very difficult to get the right people to be able to explain it. So that's, that's the hard part for me is that, we know better. We now know better, and we do have that information. So, well, look at the military. I'm with you. The military mm -hmm. considers, you know, the fire service now does, you know, in many, many cases. So it's, I mean, and look at those families at the Capitol Police, you know, that that they are oh, yeah. not, you know, I my heart goes out to them, and and you know, and I've talked to many of them, and it's and it's really it's it's really awful because they they can tie it, you know, there are specific circumstances around their death that are related to the job and and you they can't get it line of duty that doesn't make any sense and you're right we with all the research that we have nowadays people need to open their minds and, and it goes back to this whole societal thing about suicide and the shame and the stigma and that they did it to themselves they didn't do it to themselves they may have fired the final shot but every moment up to that that time they didn't do to themselves. And, and again, 
we understand it's complicated. We understand there's more factors than the job. But at the end of the day, the job is a contributing factor, especially when the job is what prevents you from seeking help. So if you have issues, you do not get help because of the job, which obviously many officers don't, that is a contributing factor. Therefore, that is a line of duty death. End of story. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I really hope that we see some change and it would be nice if it happened this year. It would be. I would be thrilled. I'd be so happy. I'd be so happy for the families and also because it would be retroactive to January 1st, 2019. So it would include. Oh, good. Yeah. So that would be fantastic. Yeah. That would be great. I would love it. I'm fingers crossed, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll keep our fingers crossed and keep, I'm going to keep my eyes on that too. Um, and, and you know, like that's just another reason why, you know, you said you were uncomfortable with everybody saying how great it is to meet you, but without you and without blue help, I mean, would we even be to the point where we're at with this legislation? Yeah, I don't know. And I, I mean, maybe somebody else would have picked up the ball. I don't know. You can't say, but yeah. Well, right. But, but you did. So, and again, yeah, kudos to I you. Mean, <laughs> but we, you know, yeah. we just, we just tried to do something. Um, and I think too, it's Steve and Jeff and myself and the people that work with us every day. We, we just found the right group of people who, we're not afraid to speak our minds. We're certainly not afraid to offend people because we've done that often enough. And we've, we're not afraid to try things that nobody else has tried by putting their names and faces out there, by bringing the families forward, by giving them the support they haven't had. And I, I think that takes a certain amount of courage because we're bucking the system on a daily basis, you know, and mm -hmm. we do not, um, we're not this huge political machine. We aren't a huge nonprofit either in terms of dollars or personnel like many other organizations. So, so for us, we're not beholden to anybody. We just try to do what we think is the right thing to do. And do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But um, we're, you know, human just like everybody else. And we're trying to do the right thing. And I, and I think for the most part, um, it's, it's worked. Yeah, no, no doubt. And uh, I want to switch gears because I don't want to forget to ask you, you mentioned some free training that's on your website yeah. and you talked about families in particular, family mm -hmm. readiness. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Is that something that's online or is that where somebody goes in person to an event or do you come to an agency? How, how does that work? So that is in person. And like I said, that was something that was created by Joe Willis. He is our chief learning officer. He created four programs. It's, it's called the Responder Readiness Series. It's the Responder Readiness, Supervisor Readiness, Family Readiness, and Provider Readiness. And what is it does is it basically um, talks about resiliency and, and preparing yourself um, for stress and, and the career. And it's a really unique course because, um, you know, recently somebody said, well, what, what, what history, what research, what doctor, what this, what that, what psychologist, you know, it, it's, it's not about that. Not everything has to be underwritten by a psychologist. And while it is based in research, it's, it's really about resiliency and stress and how we react to it um, and how we communicate with people. So, FirstNet, um, built with AT&T, they, they really loved it so much that they financed us doing this. So what it is, is we have a schedule on our website. Um, we're in Illinois. There's quite a few of them in Illinois. I think there's 10 in Illinois, Kansas, Ohio, Wisconsin, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. And there's more coming uh, because of this grant. So basically, it's it can be a one-day, a two-day, a three-day series where you have the responder and the provider, you have um, 
the different um, family members. So they, they, there is one just for families. So we have to go to our website and see where it is. And obviously we can bring it to people if they want it. We also do, we do work with the, um, um, the, I'm sorry, the, the first responder conferences, but that's a paid event and they do that around the country. But this particular free event is something that you would have to go to our website and check out the um, locations. And, and if you want it brought to you, let us know. Uh, that's actually where I was headed next is um, if we like, say I had, I wanted the family readiness training mm -hmm. to come to it where um, in Wichita, Kansas, or our agency is because we're looking at trying to build out some programming for families, we would just call you up and make arrangements to, yeah. and see if it worked out. Perfect. Okay. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it's a great, I mean, like I said, it's a great program. It's, it's very unique because it does talk about specifically how we react to stress, how we can react better, how can we communicate better? What's our plan if there is an emergency? You know, it, that's, you know, especially for the families. Um, how, you know, it, this, the relation, the, the, um, career affects people and you know not just from a emotional perspective being the trauma that you suffer but just you know administratively and of course nowadays with the social stuff um how your body reacts physically it's it's a really good um course i i i really enjoyed it i've never seen anything like it so when i when i when i attended it the first time it was kind of cool i was like oh, this is very interesting and then of course it was based um out of a there was part of it was based out of a book. It's called um, "Stress: How to Get How to Get Good at It." Oh, so let me think of the book name. So I had to buy the book and read it. Um, let me let me look really quick and see what the name of that book is. It's actually on my nightstand behind me, but because I don't have my glasses on it, I won't be able to see it from here. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I, great. I, That's. That's good information to have, though, for obviously for myself, but for anyone who's listening, if you want to bring it to your agency, just get a hold of you guys and kind of go from there. Yes, absolutely. And if they go to 1sthelp.org, that would be the website. Oh, it's called The Upside of Stress by Kelly McConnell. Oh, yeah, Kelly yeah. McConnell. Yep. Yeah. Yep, We're that's familiar with that here. McConnell. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yes. Very good stuff. Excellent. So, so you started with Blue Help, and now, which I just learned about this when we when we first started talking, um, now there's First Help, which Blue Help is a program underneath First Help. So everything's now been expanded to other first responder professions. So can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? My guess is you had people begging you, saying, "Hey, what about us?" And that's kind of how it started. But <laughs> yeah. but maybe you can explain a little bit more. <laughs> no, that's pretty much how it started. And of course, we all have full time jobs. We're like, sure, we have nothing else to do. Let's do this. Um, so we, yes, yeah, so so we had fire families coming to us. We had all we always included corrections officers. We consider corrections part of law enforcement, and they've always been part of it from day one. Because if they go on the wall in D.C., they would go on ours, and corrections do go on the wall in D.C. So we also included dispatch because we felt like they were so close to law enforcement and the officers. And um, even though they weren't really split out in any special way, we just treated them the same as we treated the, the law enforcement officers. We don't have a lot of dispatch suicides, but the ones we do, we've, we've, we've welcomed to the family. Um, we have a, a private Facebook page with a couple hundred, well, more than a couple hundred family members on there that get to talk and everything. So they're all engaged with each other on the same page. 
so last year the firefighters came to us and said well where's my blanket where's my care package how come my friend who he died by suicide how come his wife isn't getting any support so we said you know what when we first started this it, it actually we had actually called it first alliance that before it was even blue help that's a little known fact we still have all the old logos that we we hardly ever saw oh wow yeah, we called it First Alliance because we were going to do it for everybody. But it, it just seemed very overwhelming in the beginning. And, and because we only lived in law enforcement, we just said we, we don't know what we're getting into. So so we, we scaled it back to Blue Help. Now we've scaled it back up to First Help. So what, what happened is we changed our name legally from Blue Help to First Help. And we are, you know, DBA Blue Help, DBA Red, Gold, and White. So Red Help is for fire. Gold Help is for dispatch and telecommunications. White Help is for EMS. So they are all programs of First Help. It's the same 501c3 number, same group of people. Well, now more because we now we have firefighters on board and you know things and and dispatch families. So now we've got the four programs. So that they have four different websites: RedHelp.org, GoldHelp.org, uh, BlueHelp, and WhiteHelp.org. So they all have their own honor wall, their own counter. They get their own care packages. Their blankets are red instead of blue or gold or white, depending on the profession. Um, and we have one dinner now a year where we will include everybody, uh, and they are invited to all the events. They are eligible for the scholarships. Same, same, same thing that we're doing for Blue. We just expanded it, and part of that also came about because um, I don't know if you know this, but we're working with the um, Life Message and Veterans Resource Outreach Center in Texas to build a 22-acre memorial park. And this, this mm. there's 22 acres of land on on Lake Rowlett in Texas. And I'm sorry, it's in Rowlett, Texas on Lake Ray Hubbard. And it is going to be a memorial pay, a park for all first responders and military veterans lost to suicide. And it's, and it's tremendous. It's an incredible project. It's, it's moving. It's heartwarming. It's, you know, they can't go on the wall in D.C., so we're going to give them their own 22 acres of land and, and make it really special and beautiful for them. So now we I have didn't know that. everybody. Yeah, yeah we, we do a lot of stuff under the radar that just, and later you comes out. You need to out, tell more people yeah, what you're doing. <laughs> I, yeah, you know what? I think that's one of our biggest problems. And people tell us that all the time. We, we don't brag enough about what we do because, again, we don't, um, to us, we're, we're just doing what's, what we need to do. So it seems disingenuous to post a hundred selfies like look here I am here here I am talking to this person here I am when we're just when we're, we're doing it because it's we just we just need to do it you know and, and when the, the park is is huge and obviously we make the big deal out of that um in the coming months and as as it's it's been ramping up more and more but um I don't know yeah we don't brag enough about it yeah we're not good at that and I get what you're saying though about this particular area because it's so sensitive and you don't want to put it out there in a way to, to, to bring too much attention to it. Like you're like, look at what I'm doing. But I think the more you talk about it, I think the more people know about you, they hear about you and they can use you as a resource because I still don't know that everybody knows that, that blue help or sorry, first help is, is a resource that's available. So for, I'm coming at it from that perspective, like just so more, the more you're out there, the more people can know about you. Yeah, too. agreed. And I think this training this year is going to help because we're going to be out in front of a lot more people. You know, before COVID, we we were out in front of, we were really uh, on the uptick. Mm -hmm. And then COVID kind of leveled things out and we kind of sank back down. And now it's ticking back up with, with everything. Um, 
And I think too that it's it's hard with this um, type of subject because you don't want to appear as an ambulance chaser. So for instance, if someone submits a suicide to us, we will send the care package to the department. But if they don't put the family's contact information or the family doesn't put their contact information, we we, we give them their space they need. And, and when they're ready, they'll come back to us, you know? And if they do put their contact, we'll reply and it, we'll, you know, tell them what our services are. And some of them, you know, take advantage of it right away. Others say, I'm not ready. And they, and they will. We just had somebody come back after two years and she said, I'm ready to put my dad up there, you know? So it, it's, it's, it just depends. And it's a very fine line, you know, because it's not like any other kind of death. And it's not, it's private. It's painful. Many of the families witness it. So it's, it's very sensitive. And then when you think, you know, people say, well, I thought they get this and that. And it's not a line of duty. You can't just jam a camera in their face and, 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 and just jump on this mm -hmm. bandwagon because that's not how it is. They do need support, but they need it on a different level than, than a normal death would. Well, and I think that's, that's, that's really good that you are so mindful of just giving people the families the space that they need and just like here here this is and then here we are when you're ready and don't get me wrong it's not easy because i just i want to say hey we'll buy your christmas gifts what are you talking about i'll give you grocery money i will you know but just take it but yeah. I, you can't do that you know you have to let them and and that gets hard because we do have this help here and we do have these resources for them and you want more people to take advantage but you you can't you can't yeah we have to wait that's, and that's hard for me too, especially because I'm type A and I'm going and I got to talk to everybody and do stuff right away. So, you know, I have this mental list of families that I got to check back with because, you know, we haven't heard from them in a certain amount of time or I don't, you know, and, and so we too, we'll check in six months or a year later and see how they're doing if we haven't heard from them and see if they need anything. And sometimes it's the right time and they say, oh yeah, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm ready now or I forgot and I should have contacted you or, you know, we have other families who are ready the next day, you know, please help me, you know, mm -hmm. what, what can you do? How can I talk to somebody else kind of thing? So, and, and that's good too because we're able to connect the families. So if, if we speak, so recently there was a fire widow. Um, she, she lost her husband last month and she's really upset. She doesn't know what to do. So we were able to put her in touch with another widow who's a couple years out that had a similar situation, you know, and they can talk to each other and guide them through this. It's, it's, it's difficult. And unless you've been there and I haven't been there, I, I did not lose my husband to suicide. I, I, I can only give them so much help. You know, I can, listen to them. I can, um, you know, take in what they have to say. And then from what I know of the other families decide who would be a good fit for them and then match them. And then that's where they get their support, you know? And that's brilliant because that's, that's peer support. I mean, really, I mean, you've got people who are, who are peers, they've been through things that are similar on the job. And this is kind of taking that just to the families in this situation. Like you're, you're putting people together that have been through a similar situation. Yeah, that's an, I, yeah I never thought of it as peer support, but it is, isn't it? Well, I, I'm, I, we are, I run a peer support team at work, so it's always on my mind. And anytime I hear something like that, I make that connection. Because that's yeah. really what seems to be the thing that helps anybody, really, with anything. It doesn't yeah. have to be even in this profession. It's like if you've got people that are kind of going through the same thing, it's, and it's not always the case. But, you know, a lot of times that seems to be what, what is more helpful. Yeah. So. So you have, it sounds like you have um, 
a lot of resources. So you must have a lot of volunteers because you're a nonprofit. So you've got all these people making all of these things, these blankets and all these moving parts. So how does all that work? And if somebody wants to volunteer, how does, you're laughing. Are you the one that does it all? <laughs> I know, Are you right? quilting in the back? Or... <laughs> no, I used to, no, I used to, but not anymore. No, um, we have, so Nicole, she's one of our widows. She sends out all the care packages. So we feed her okay. that information. So it did start with just me, where I was sending the care packages. I was doing everything out of the house. Um, and actually, I still send out our Christmas ornaments myself. Every year, we have the families design Christmas ornaments, and uh, we pick one, and nobody knows what it is until I mail it. So, you know, I sit here packaging up a thousand Christmas ornaments and sending them out. So there's some stuff that I still like to do. I still hop on social media. Um, so we have, geez, our board is eight people now. And then we do have a core group of volunteers. I think we're up to about 30 now uh, in, in most of it. So we do have a woman who does the embroidery um, and she ships the blankets out for us. We do have the widow, Nicole, and now we have a red widow, Robin, who sends out the care packages. And we, the different events, it just depends on what event it is. Like Sharonda's running Camp April. Um, Shannon is gonna run the dinner this year. So we are, but, but we're very tight, very close. We meet every other week. Um, Whoever wants to join us, whoever of the volunteers find out what's going on, what's needed. We have um, checklists in, in the software called ClickUp that we just started. And I'm laughing about that too because I hate it. Um, but it's, you know, like a project <laughs> management software. And we got to the point where we just needed it because I think if we were still Blue Help, we could have still managed it with a smaller team. But with all these first responders, we had to bring on more volunteers because it's just not manageable anymore. You know, and again, we all have full-time jobs. So you know, spending five years having two full-time jobs and, you know, mm -hmm. mailing care packages and writing thank you letters. And, and I still try to write the thank you. There's some things that I still try to do as the found, one of the founders because people, A, expect it, B, and B, don't expect it, and C, love it. Because sometimes I get a note mm -hmm. saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I got a thank you note from Karen Solomon. How, with everything that's going on, how can one of the founders be sending me a thank you note? But I think that's also something that, that stands us out from the rest. We are very accessible. You know, people, and people say that to us all the time. They're like, I can't believe I, I talked to Steve Huff today or Jeff McGill or Karen Solomon. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't you talk to us, <laughs> you know? But we, we, we don't ever want to become that conglomerate where we're not in touch anymore with what everybody needs or wants. And not just the families, but the officers who support us and the people who make the donations because they're incredibly important to us. They, they are... They, they keep us going. The, the, some of the notes that we get with the donations, I'll sit at the post office and cry some days when I open the mail because it's just, you know, it's just beautiful what we've been able to give, this gift that we've given these families and these officers. So for us, we want to keep that connection um, and, and make sure that we don't ever lose that. So, so we, we like keeping the team small. You know, and we also don't want it to get out yeah. of control where, you know, we're, oh, we're all going to pay ourselves half a million dollars a year. Yeah, no, we're not. We don't even, you know, because we don't want it to become something. We want it to stay true the, to the original mission. And the original mission was, sure. you know, yeah, we absolutely have to start hiring people. We did. We hired two family members this year. Um, so because we, we can't, we can't function anymore just as volunteers. So we did. We hired two family members and, and we'll 
you know, eventually have to hire more people. But at the end of the day, we just want to do the right thing again. I mean, I keep saying that. That's so dumb. But that's how we kind of are, you know. Well, whatever you're doing is working. So um, so keep it up. Thanks. <laughs> one, one, one thing that um, I did want to ask you about before um, – before we sign off is retirees. I mean, I briefly mentioned it in the beginning about keeping track of retirees um, that die by suicide, but are there any programs that you guys offer for retirees geared towards retirees? Obviously you mentioned families, providers, the responders themselves, supervisors, but I'm curious if that's something you guys have looked at. Not at this time. And obviously we welcome retirees as volunteers. And, you know, something like Copline, Copline, they uh, use, they are all retired law enforcement. Um, they, to do that, that, you know, that's the hotline that officers can call if they need help. So we don't have anything specific to retirees at this time, no, but there are resources out there for them. And, you know, if anybody ever contacted us, we would try to connect them. Or we would find them a resource if we, they needed it, but we don't Okay, great. Anything. Yeah, that's. That's good to know. And, it, and I mean, it sounds like all of the resources that you have would benefit a retiree also. Yeah, we, um, so it definitely would. And we also, we have a website. It's, it's also connected through our regular website. It's called firsthelp.net, one at sthelp.net. And that is um, a searchable database by zip code. And it gives you different nonprofits and different providers throughout the country that help first responders. So that's always like a first step for somebody. So they could look there and say, oh, because if we don't know, we'll just type in that database and we'll look and we'll say, hey, why don't you contact this person? They're in your area or they're in your, the wheelhouse you're looking for. Maybe they can help find you somebody, you know? So we, we constantly refer people out because we are not a hotline. Um, and, and there's only certain things that we do and most of it, it's like I said, it's the prevention training and the post-function support. So if somebody's looking for therapy or they're looking for certain things, we'll try to get them to the people that they need to. Again, we're, we're not a hotline, but if, but we do get some, you know, requests asking us and, and there's lots of resources on our website too. So. And that's what's so good about you collaborating with all of these other programs because for what's something that you may may not cover or take care of, you can at least, you know, refer them or point them in the right direction. And that's super important. It's it's knowing who else mm -hmm. is out there. Just even if mm -hmm. you don't know who they are, if you've never talked to them, but if you've vetted them, if you know people have gone to their program, um, you don't necessarily have to be collaborating. You just have to know mm -hmm. what's out there, you know, because it's hard. There's a lot of people out there now and it's hard to connect with everybody. You know, so we vet right. as much as we can. We go through references, people that we know have been to programs or whatever it is, and, and try to find out what would be the best um, people to refer out to. Yeah, you're you're right about that. I feel like um, it's hard to know because there are so many different resources and programs that have surfaced over the last five years that there is no way I probably even know what half of them are. And that used to not be that way. <laughs> Yeah, that's and that's tough, right? In in finding out which ones are which, and you know which ones are just charge exorbitant amount of money for a service that may not be so hot, and uh, you know what other ones that are free or what. Just it's just there's a lot of stuff out there, and and we don't claim to know who they all are either. Um, we know certain ones, and we certainly you know for instance, like I said, Copline. We'll send people to Copline if they need help, and and they will. They have to stay on top of those resources. They have to know because they refer people out to that. That's what the hotline is for, you know. So I would rather send sure. them to the hotline um, that has that information and is constantly vetting that for them. 
So those hotlines are right. And I'm sure, and I'm sure you, you've probably heard of the national FOP now has a wellness initiative and they vet, like they have a process where they will actually vet certain programs before they recommend them so that people, all of that is streamlined for people who are looking for different things. Yeah. We, we haven't been able to find out where that list of vetted resources is yet, but I, I know that they're working on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think it's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward well, to it Karen, though. I, Another good yeah. resource to oh, have. Yeah. Especially if they're vetted. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I don't really have any other questions, but I just kind of want to make sure that everybody understands a lot of what you said, make sure I understand all of the resources that you mentioned, the training, everything on your website for first help is available to anyone, um, any first responder, family member, all they need to do is get a hold of you guys and all the all the information's at their fingertips pretty That's much correct. and somebody will respond excellent great is there is there anything else that i didn't necessarily ask you whether it be about legislation or about anything you want anyone to know that might be listening even if it's somebody who might even be struggling or contemplating you know taking their own life or wh- what kind of message or to any family members that that might be going through the loss of a loved one what what would you want to say to to anybody So first to anybody who's listening, um, you know, I had a good friend who used to tell me you can fix anything but death. So please don't let suicide be an option. You know, you can fix anything. Mm. You can fix finances, family, relationships, new careers, whatever it is. Please don't think that suicide is your only option. And I know it's incredibly difficult to ask for help, uh, but it's it's, it's the hardest thing you'll do, but it's going to make everything else easier after that. So please, if you do need help, please ask for it. And for the families, you know, again, we, we are so sorry for your loss. And, and if there is anything we can do to help you, please let us know because we do have these resources available to you. I, I, I mean, I know one family, they had triplets and um, they didn't know where they were going to pay for college. So, you know, we, we, there's there's resources for you and if we don't know them we we can help you find them so please reach out if you're struggling as a family who lost a first responder to suicide excellent thank you so much karen i appreciate it thank you if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe share and give us a review and as always i want to hear from you feedback and suggestions for future topics and guests is always welcome And as always, a reminder that you aren't alone. There are resources to help, and First Help is just one of many organizations. And remember, we are better together.